0: In the movie the, the Count of Monte Cristo, there is a scene where Edmund Dantes, who is the main character who's been wrongly imprisoned, enters the horrors of what is to be his prison cell to find these words kind of scratched into the wall. God will give me justice. And at first, these words are a source of hope for Edmund as he waits for justice, but as the years go by and he's forgotten in prison and even tortured over and over again in prison, he eventually gives up faith in God's justice. In fact, later, after 14 horrific years, Edmund escapes prison And he becomes consumed with making those who framed him pay for what they've done. He believes that it's his job, not God's, to assure that justice is served. And so for the next 15 years, he systematically searches out and hunts down and finds and, and methodically destroys the lives of every single person who unjustly framed him and unjustly acted against him and sought to destroy him. And if you've ever read the the book or watched the movie, you know that he, in so doing, he becomes enslaved to the desire to make others pay. He's, He's consumed with wanting others to experience The justice that was withheld from him. And he will not stop until he hurts every single one who has hurt him. Now, it's likely that you have felt something similar. You may not have been wronged in the same way Edmund Dantes was wronged. You may not have faced that level of injustice But all of us know what it's like to be hurt by someone else. All of us know what it's like to be wronged. Many know what it's like to experience injustice, to long for justice, to want to see that person or those other people who hurt you suffer in the same way that you suffered. And when justice doesn't happen, at least right away, It's tempting, in fact, frequently we might wonder if God actually knows what happened, if he actually saw how we have been wronged, if he actually cares. For Edmund, he eventually finds out that all his efforts to make justice don't fully satisfy his craving for justice. Like in the end, he comes to recognize that justice is ultimately God's business. And that while seeking justice here on earth may have its place, we are never fully capable of fully bringing final justice ourselves. Like we will never be fully satisfied with our own efforts for justice. And ultimately, we have to rest in the fact that A, God is just, and B, he will assure that justice one day prevails for all his children. Now, Edmund did not need 14 years in prison and 15 years seeking revenge to learn this lesson. He could have learned this lesson from Jesus' words here in Luke 18, In fact, as we jump into a new chapter here in Luke 18, it might be helpful for us just to kind of find our bearings in Luke, where we're at. You'll notice that this parable comes right after Jesus' teaching on his second coming, this return, this glorious return of Jesus Christ that we're longing for. And this parable is kind of book framed at the end with Jesus referring to his return again. So. Clearly, this parable is all about Jesus' second coming and what we are to do until Jesus returns again. There's another clue in the text that helps us to know what Jesus is talking about or what he's driving at here in this parable. Look at verse one. The word of the Lord says, "And, and he, Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And don't you love it when the author gives to you the thesis right at the beginning? Like Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is telling us, hey, this is why Jesus is telling this parable to the effect, or that it might have the effect in the followers of Jesus' lives that we would always pray and not lose heart. Always pray and not lose heart. So what we have here is a parable about justice given to us so that we would always pray and not lose heart. Which should make us think to ourselves, okay, it could just well be that justice or a lack of justice is something over which we are tempted to lose heart. It's as though the God who created us knows that when we've experienced injustice or when justice is withheld from ourselves or from those around us, we can very easily feel hopeless. Like We can very easily lose heart. And so in the kind providence of the Lord, he gives to us this eternal message so that we would always pray even in the face of injustice, and not lose heart. So what we have here then in this parable is a story of an unrighteous judge and a powerless widow. Look at verse 2. And Jesus said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. So we have two characters in this parable. The first is the judge, and this judge embodies everything that we despise about corrupt individuals in power. He's godless, so he doesn't fear God, he doesn't respect God, and to make matters worse, he does not respect other human beings. Like, he doesn't even care, he's not even bound by the basic decency with which most humanity is bound where we at least want to appear righteous or appear just, or appear good. None of that is even a concern for this unrighteous judge. Character B in the story is this widow, this powerless widow, this woman who needs justice desperately. Now we're not told the specifics of why she needs justice, but clearly she is unable to bring about the justice she needs on her own, which is why she goes to the judge again and again and again. Just think about the two characters here. This widow is a woman living in the first century, which meant she had fewer rights, much fewer rights than men did. She's also a widow. Her husband has died. There's no one to represent her legally, no one to assure her her financial security. She has few resources. She has no legal leverage. The only thing she can do is to come to this judge and beg for justice again and again and again. In fact, as the ESV study Bible note tells us, persistence is her only asset in seeking justice from the unjust judge. Now, This would be a good place to stop for just a few moments this morning and to draw some application because this widow had few recourses in her society, few things that she could do to bring about justice. And yet she did what little she could do. And we know that in our society today, we we likely have more resources at our disposal when we're trying to seek justice. Like, there are times when we can do other things as well. For example, we can avail ourselves, as she does, of the justice system in our country. We can call law enforcement. We have social programs and organizations that, while far from perfect, are designed to address injustices. And to be more specific, God, in his wisdom, has ordained three institutions in today's world to help us with this, the home, the church, and the state. So God has ordained the home and he's designed it as the foundational building block of societies. God's good design for the home is that husbands and wives would come together and raise up children who know and love the Lord. And so that their children would grow and become God-honoring, disciple-making church members who are citizens, who contribute positively both to the work of God's kingdom, both here and around the world, and to the flourishing and the good of human society. Like, who are good citizens. God has also ordained the church. He's designed the church as the earthly representation of God's kingdom reign. And the church is made up of those who have repented and believed the gospel, those who publicly profess faith through the waters of baptism, those who willingly commit to one another that they might honor the Lord together and worship the Lord together and grow in Christlikeness together and serve one another and the Lord together and share the good news of the gospel together. And third. <clears throat> the Lord has ordained the state. The state is designed by God to restrain the evil that exists in our fallen world and to provide some semblance of order by both punishing the wicked and putting boundaries around those who live in a fallen world so that we might freely pursue the glory of God and human flourishing. Now, you might be thinking, home, the church, the state, what in the world does that have to do with Luke 18 and this woman and the unjust judge? Here's how it relates. God has given to each of these three institutions, the home, the church, and the state, responsibilities to seek justice and to respond to injustice. For example... In the home, when children are acting unjustly to one another or to their parents, disobeying the godly instruction of their parents, parents can and should respond with loving discipline for the purpose of training. And in the church... When a church member is unrepentant about blatant sin, fellow church members can and should warn and plead with, and if necessary, excommunicate even, that member carefully and humbly and prayerfully in hope that it will eventually lead that member back to repentance and full participation in the local church. And in the same way, when citizens of the state or the nation break the law, or act unjustly, or abuse their power. The state can and should respond with legal action to assure that evil is restrained. So all three are given charges, unique charges, different charges, but are given charges that relate to pursuing justice and responding to injustice. Injustice. And we can see this widow here is going to the state. She's going to the judge, to the powers at B. Notice, she isn't just praying for justice. She's doing what she can in the context in which she lives to use all the means necessary she has to bring about justice. Now, I say all of this about the home and the church and the state, I say all of this because a wrong application of this text would be to say something like this. Well, we know that if we experience injustice or there's harm being done, what we should do is we should pray a lot without losing heart. And then we sit and we wait for God to act. Like we should pray and we should not lose heart. But there are also things we can do. It's why God has ordained the home and the church and the state. For example, if you saw that while your neighbor was on vacation, you're sitting in your chair one day and you notice their house is being broken into, like it would be right and good to pray for justice, right? (laughs) But it would also be right and good as you're praying for justice for you to call the police whom the Lord has ordained and set in place that they might restrain evil. We're called to do both in our world and we have within our church, even those of you who serve in the law enforcement community, in the legal community, in the justice community, and we're grateful for that. That is a God-honoring, faithful way to serve the Lord with the gifts and the talents that he has given to you, to his glory. So it is right and it is good to take tangible action to pursue righteousness and justice. And We should always do that. And we should always do that in just ways because if we see injustice and we respond in unjust ways, we're no more honoring to the Lord than the first person who was being unjust. We're called to be just ourselves as we pursue justice. But the point of Luke 18 more specifically, if we want to get real specific and it would be good that we do that, is what do you do when you can't? do anything to bring about justice or you've done everything you know to do to bring about justice to pursue justice in ways that honor the lord you've done everything you can do and still there is injustice what do you do then and that's what this widow is experiencing she has Done everything she can do, she keeps coming over and over and over again to this unrighteous, unjust judge. And yet, from her perspective, nothing seems to change. So what do we do when all of our attempts to right a wrong or address an injustice seems to fall flat? What do we do then? And Jesus says we are to continue praying and don't lose heart. Why? Because God hears and God will assure that justice prevails. Let's look at verse 6. The Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Friends, God hears and God will assure that justice prevails. Like this is an argument from the lesser to the greater. It goes something like this If an unjust, unrighteous judge will ultimately give justice to this widow, how much more? Will God, the righteous judge, give justice to his elect? How much more will he assure that his people, his elect, Christians who trust in him, will receive justice? Like this is what anchors our ability, friends, to pray and to not lose heart, even when justice seems far, or far off, when injustice seems to reign, when we seem so powerless to fix the situations in our own life or around us. We are anchored <clears throat> by the truth that God hears and he sees and even though he may not act according to our timeline, he has promised that he will act. That in the end, God will assure that everything is just. You think about that. In the end, God will assure That everything is just for his own, for his people, for his elect, who cry out to him day and night, regardless of the size, regardless of the need. Now, there are some wrong ways to apply this text this morning. So I want to give you three wrong ways to apply the text. And in case you need to get up and go out part way through, or you need to leave part way through, let me just be really clear again, I wanna give you three wrong ways to apply this text. The first, number one, it would be wrong to conclude that like the unrighteous judge, God really doesn't want to give us justice. That would be a wrong way to apply the text. But you could get there if you just read the text and you think, well, <clears throat> this unjust judge did not want to give justice to this widow. It must be God does not want to give justice to his people. That could not be further from the truth. God is a God of justice. Like we could park out here and spend the next three hours just going through the scriptures and seeing how God reveals himself to us reveals his character, reveals his actions to us as a God of justice. I wanna give you just two verses. First one, from Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse four, it'll be on the screen, the rock, speaking of God there, not the actor, the rock, God, (laughs) Yahweh, right? His work is perfect. For all his ways are what? Say it like you mean it. For all his ways are? justice, a God of faithfulness, and without iniquity, just and upright is he. Revelation 19, then, all the way at the end of the Bible now, after this, I heard what seemed to be a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and, what, just, Just. The very character of God himself is that he is a God of justice. A God who is just, who is fair, who gives justice. So it would be wrong to conclude that God really doesn't want to give us justice because it's in his character to give us justice. Secondly, it would be wrong to conclude that, like the unrighteous judge, God will only give us justice after we wear him down or nag him. And again, it would be easy to think that if we put too much weight on the details between the unrighteous judge and God. But remember, parables are designed to make a primary point. We're not supposed to critique every minute detail of every parable. In fact, here in this text, Jesus himself tells us that God will not long delay in giving justice. He will give justice speedily. Again, it does not mean it always happens on our timetable, but Jesus is clear. God is a God of justice who doesn't need to be coaxed into action. He doesn't need to be persuaded Well, fine, I guess I'll, you've asked enough, so I'll give you justice. The third wrong application would be, it would be wrong to conclude that like the unrighteous judge, God will finally give us justice begrudgingly. Again, the unrighteous judge gave justice, but it's clear he didn't really want to. In fact, maybe the reason he waited so long was he was hoping for a bribe. But everything we know about God from his character is that he is a God who delights in justice. And he delights in his people doing justice, pursuing justice, being people of justice. Like he's honored as we pursue justice. Just think about all the commands to us as his children to be people who are just. For example, Psalm 33, four and five. For the word of the Lord is upright and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Notice there in Psalm 33, he doesn't just command righteousness and justice. He doesn't just exude and embody righteousness and justice. It says he loves righteousness and justice. Likewise, in Psalm 37, we're commanded, turn away from evil and do good, so shall you dwell forever, for the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. He will not give justice begrudgingly because he is a God who delights, delights in justice. So if those were three wrong applications of the text, then what are three right applications of the text? First, we should pray for justice. This does not mean we don't act also justly or pursue justice with our actions or try to right injustices. In fact, if you're in a situation this morning where you are experiencing harm or danger because of something that is unjust. You should take action. Tell someone. It's why the Lord has ordained the state in its limited role that it does have. So there is a time, absolutely, and a place for action. But we should always be people crying out day and night, Jesus says here, repeatedly again and again and again for justice. We should pray for justice for ourselves. That we would be people who who enact justice, who live justly. We should also be praying for injustices that are happening all around us. Secondly, we should not only pray for justice, we should continue praying, even if justice seems far off. It's so easy, isn't it, to lose heart. And This is why Jesus gives us this parable, so, so we would not lose heart. We're not promised justice in this life right now. Let me say that again because that's important for us to understand. We are not promised justice in this life right now. God is not bound by our timetable. Like I wonder how long some of the faithful Egyptians waited and waited and waited. They're not Egyptians, the faithful Israelites, when in Egypt, waited and waited and waited for justice to come in the midst of their slavery by the Egyptians. Like no doubt for those 400 years, there were lots of faithful Israelites who were born and lived and walked faithfully and died crying out for justice. And yet justice did not come in their timeline or in their timetable. And it's good for us to remember, friends, brothers and sisters in the faith, that the arc of God's timeline stretches not just into next week or next year or even our death here on this earth as we know it, but the arc of God's timeline stretches into the kingdom to come, the not yet kingdom that we talked about last week. And in that kingdom, there will be complete justice. God has promised that. And so third this morning, we should rest then On God's promise to assure that justice is served. How can we pray always and not lose heart when we ourselves experience injustice and it doesn't there seems to be no end, or justice never seems to come, or the ones who hurt us or wronged us never they seem to just go on unaffected and or the people around us who have experienced injustices are going through similar things. Or we look around the world and we recognize that that's not right. And we feel so powerless. How do we continue to pray and not lose heart? We continue to pray and not lose heart because we rest on God's promises to assure that one day justice will be served. Like Jesus here says, will not God give justice to his elect? And the obvious answer is, Yes, God will give justice to his people, to his elect. He hears, and he sees, and he knows. The ESV Study Bible helpfully reminds us, from God's perspective, justice will come to his elect speedily. That's from God's perspective. From the human perspective, of course, justice may seem a long time in coming. is why R.C. Sproul helpfully wrote God will not keep putting off his own like the judge in this parable. Any delay will have good reason in his infinite wisdom. That is so good. Lest we think that God just turns a deaf ear to injustice or that he like this unrighteous judge is just biding his time. He's just arbitrarily decided not to enact justice yet. God is never arbitrary. In general, Sproul writes, what seems like a delay to us is the outworking of God's patience to gather all his elect through the preaching of the gospel. We can be confident that he is working all things together for our good in every circumstance. The good of his people who are called by his name. And so, as Jesus asks here in verse 8, when Christ returns, will he find faith on earth? Like, will he find those doing what we can to both pursue peace? And always praying without losing heart, trusting in our just God to assure that no matter how long it takes, in the end, God will assure that justice prevails. And we just keep praying to that end. We keep praying to that end. We keep praying to that end without losing heart. You see, Edmund Dantes found that all his best efforts to make justice happen didn't come close to satisfying his deepest longings for justice. Like he could not completely make things just. And he had unspeakable wealth and power. And even then, he could not get the justice he so longed for. In the end, he had to go back to the famous words written on that cell wall. God will give me justice. Friends, and we rest in the same promise today. Even when we or those we love have been the victim of injustice. Because there is coming a day when God will complete perfect justice. And if you're a Christian in this room, if you have turned from your sin and are trusting in the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ on the cross and your place for your sin... All of this is a reminder that ultimately God's justice for our sin fell on Jesus. That as we sang this morning, God the just is satisfied to look on Jesus and then pardon us who trust in him. Like Christian, we are not getting what we justly deserve on our own. You and I are getting the benefits of Christ's punishment for our sin. So that in Christ's death for our sin, God's justice is upheld, and at the same time, God is not only just, but he is just the justifier of those who trust in him by faith. So we are getting a justice that is filtered through the cross, aren't we? We're given in a glorious inheritance of eternal life that we don't deserve which we have received by faith. And because God is just, he will give justice to his own even as he saves his own by justly pardoning us through Jesus Christ to the glory of his name. Hallelujah. What a savior. Would you stand with me? I'm gonna pray for us And then I'm going to close the prayer time by reading a a benediction from 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. A benediction is really just a blessing from the word of the Lord to the people of the Lord. So we want to receive that today as, as God's people. Father, this morning we are grateful that you are not like this unjust unrighteous judge but that you are fair and that you are righteous and that you are just thank you that in love you provided jesus christ so that we are not treated for what our sins deserve but that christ took that punishment that your justice is upheld in Jesus Christ and at the same time you justify those who trust in you by faith. And I pray that even as we, as your people, pursue justice and seek to live justly and seek to correct injustices in just ways, I pray, Lord, that even when that doesn't happen, And even when it does, and we find that it doesn't fully satisfy, I pray that we would look ahead to that day to come, knowing that you are a God who will right every wrong, who will dry every tear from our eyes, and that all will be as it should be. And so, church, now may the God of peace himself sanctify us completely. May our whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who called us is faithful. He will surely do it. Amen.